I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for all the spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And we are in the thick of it, into the thick of it with our (laughs) (laughs) Scream rewatch, guys. So, Ah, ah. (laughs) wait, one more time. What's that scream? If anyone ever screamed like, like a bat, <laughs> <laughs> or like a bird, like Ca-caw! yeah, <laughs> but I had to do it twice because what are we doing today? Oh, great segue! We are screaming for the sec two times, guys. Scream two <laughs> is what we're talking about on this glorious Double the screams. day. I'm gonna blame the movies. Pretty go, huh? It hasn't been done before. You see, this it's just the beginning, a prelude to the trial. That's where the real fun is, because these days it's all about the trial. Can't you see it? The effects of cinema violence on society. I'll get Dershowitz or Cochran to represent me. Bob Dole on the witness stand in my defense. Hell, the Christian coalition will pay my legal fees. It's air tight, Sid. I'm an innocent victim. You're a psychotic. Yeah, well. Double the screams, double your trouble, all the things. (laughs) (laughs) So we are talking about the 1997 sequel, Scream 2, which again was also directed by the wonderful Wes Craven and is written by Kevin Williamson. Reprising their roles, we have Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and Jamie Kennedy. And rounding out the cast, we have uh, a lot of special guests. Sarah Michelle Gellar, hot off the press from I Know What You Did Last Summer, that released a couple of months before Scream 2. Spoiler alert, she does not survive this one. Then we have (laughs) Laurie Metcalf, uh, Ellis Neal, and Jerry O'Connell, just to name a few that have been added to this. So again, obviously heavy spoilers. We are going to be going through everything involving this and probably also talking about what happened in the previous movie. So if you have not seen Scream or Scream 2, please press pause unless you just want us to spoil it for you. I mean, we give great summaries of the plot. So just like listen to this and then you'll be caught up and all good to go. So heavy spoilers, all the things, all the killers revealed and any trigger warnings, Jamie? Just more slashing, cutting, slicing, uh, more, yeah, if you're squeamish, this might not be for you. Um, a lot of just continued unpleasant murdering. Just a a, a lot of unpleasant, uh, things. So, mm-hmm. before, so much gore. Cause you know, that's what they said in the sequel. You have to up mm-hmm. your body count as mm-hmm. part of the rules and you have they to have sure a, do. 
a lot more gore. So this is where mm-hmm. we're at in Scream 2. So before we get into that, is there anything else new that you have uh, watched in this time between? Or are you just heavy on the screaming? This go just around? a lot of screaming. <laughs> I don't think we've watched any horror Mm-hmm. Since we last spoke, I don't think uh, so. I'm queer wa- eye is not really scary. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I watched. Um, I've been binging two things that I think teeter on what we do. The first mm-hmm. thing is I have been binging the new season of Dexter, Ooh. which I've been really That's enjoying. Adjacent. Yeah, uh, really enjoying that. I did not enjoy the seasons five through eight of the original series and this one is very good i'm really enjoying it um so that's bloody and and fun uh and and well acted uh and then the other thing i've been watching is station 11 which is on hbo it is let me tell you nikisha what it's about um it's about a flu pandemic that kills three out of four people across the united states uh, excuse me across the world it was a book from 2014 and was written and started filming before 2020. And then they re- they finished it during the pandemic and now it's on uh, HBO. Uh, let me tell you, Nikisha, it is spectacular and one of the best things I've watched this year. And part okay. of the story is told from the perspective of a Shakespeare troupe um, in post-pandemic world um, kind of doing Shakespeare around uh, – the Great Lakes, uh, like in Chicago and and Michigan, uh, Illinois, yeah, Michigan, yeah. and all that. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Um, so if you have the bandwidth or the stomach for it, I would highly mm-hmm. suggest it. Seven of uh, at the time of this episode, actually, I think you'll get um, like uh, I think nine of the ten episodes will be out. Oh wow! Okay, okay, but the but the real question is: Is it better than? The Twilight movies that you've been going through. <laughs> oh, we finished them. You're done. Oh yes, oh, we did. Okay. We finished the. We fi- great question. Uh, the Twilight movies are not better than that, uh, but we did finish the Twilight movies. They are a wild ride. Every movie is different. It's like, what kind of movie am I getting today? I will never forget the CGI baby as long as I live. Uh, oh my god oh my god however uh we watched the harry potter uh special on hbo oh yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, let me tell you when uh cedric diggory showed up i got doubly excited (laughs) (laughs) um yeah the movies are wonderful and terrible all at the same time the Mm -hmm. twilight movies i think there are redeeming qualities about each each one I think that the final one is pretty good, um, like in terms okay. of like what it's trying to do. I think that <laughs> it's just a wild time of showing what, you know, bad relationships look like and, vi- um, you know, really, uh, really bad relationships look like. And, and they're yeah, with toxic the, codependency. <laughs> that's what it is. Toxic. I couldn't think of the word. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, toxic relationships, uh, what those look like, and uh, and with a gloss of like, no, it's special. Don't really like that. Like this wolf is loving a baby. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not 
romantic love, okay? Yeah, they imprint, whatever. Uh, and then... Uh, and then No, but it's weird. <laughs> I thought that the final... Whoa. Spoiler alerts. That final... <laughs> that final battle sequence in mm-hmm. that movie... When when some of those characters died, I was a little more distraught than I thought I would be. Well, I think it was we were sad that all the werewolves were dying because we were like, oh, no, these poor dogs. But even when uh, what's his name? Jasper, Jasper, Mm -hmm. when Jasper Mm -hmm. dies and all of that. And then the relief that it was all in her mind as to what would happen if he didn't turn it down was an excellent twist was a spectacular. That made me more mad. Actually. I was just, I was pissed. I was like, I'm, I'm why, why put us through the emotional turmoil and then be like, it was just a dream. I hate, I hate that trope. I Uh hate that trope so much. It It just, it just feels like such a waste of everyone's time. I felt that watching Michael Sheen's character's ego like get in the way of him like getting what he wants and like him almost being neutered in that scene was really fun to watch more than him dying. That's why I appreciated what had happened there. Um, But this is not a Twilight podcast. So Nikisha, I'll send it back to you. (laughs) Well, I just had to know if you, if you finished it, but (laughs) yeah. Also the, uh, the detective, uh, the sheriff in the Dexter show I'm watching was one of the werewolves in Twilight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Wait, last, last question. Was Cedric Diggory, wasn't he part of Hufflepuff? Yes. Yes. Cedric Diggory was a Hufflepuff. Yes, so that means that Edward is in turn a Hufflepuff. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa! Do you have to besmirch my house in that way? I also don't think Cedric and Edward were like anything alike. No, no, they're definitely not, and that's my house too. So I, I am with you. No, wow. In my opinion, he's a Slytherin because uh, I don't like the way he treats Bella. Oh. Are you saying all Slytherins are bad people? Uh, are you slandering the Slytherins? N- no, I guess that's wrong. However, uh, if you look at the Harry Potter movies, they do that. They're like, send all the Slytherins to the dungeon. <laughs> yeah. It's right. like, excuse that's me? <laughs> anyway. Oh that was great. Okay. This is not Harry <laughs> Potter podcast either, so I'll lay off of it. Yeah, Ooh. sorry. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Scream 2. Tell me, is this your first time watching it? Uh, if not, do you remember when you first watched it? And then we will get into this amazing two-minute summary of this movie. Tell me, Jamie. How many so, times have you seen this? <laughs> I think this is my second time because I know the first time I saw this movie was when I was in fourth grade and my friend, Danny brought over the VHS of Scream 2. Uh And I did not like scary movies, as I have mentioned before. I used to be a big old baby. I had like (laughs) crazy. I thought you were were about to say bagel baby. I was like, what's a bagel baby? (laughs) Yeah, I was a baby that just loved bagels. um, (laughs) Or I was a person who loved tiny bagels. Um, I'm still a bagel baby. (laughs) Bagel baby. (laughs) Um, 
And Wait, no, no I, I was a now in my head I could only baby. hear Santa baby with uh bagel baby. Bagel baby <laughs> the bagel <laughs> under the tree. <laughs> I mean that would have been a great Christmas gift, <laughs> just a dozen bagels. Absolutely. Um, uh, taking sorry. note right now. <laughs> You have a whole like 360 something days to figure it out. Right. Uh, but I was terrified of scary movies. I'm pretty sure my friend Danny knew that. And mm-hmm. I don't remember how far we got into the movie. Um, I just remember being very scared. But I, I truly couldn't remember anything from this movie. I was like screaming on the couch when like all these characters started showing up. I was like, whoa, like forget Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell, but like yeah. when Sarah Michelle Gellar showed up and, Absolutely. and Jerry O'Connell and Timothy Oliphant and like Jada Pinkett in the beginning, I was just like, what is going on? What is this movie? Yes. What are they doing? Because I mean, I don't remember like, like Courtney Cox had friends when Scream came out. I don't mm-hmm. really know like what was going on with Nev Campbell and Dave Arquette. I can't remember, but I feel like they all like kind of like got their status from the first Scream movie. So for them mm-hmm. to like come in as high rollers and just like throwing in, I mean, I guess Sarah Michelle Gellar was probably their biggest person maybe in so. Scream 2. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like, how do they like right now as an adult I'm like, oh, I know all of these people. Like, this is wild. But, like, also it's probably more of their, like, earlier, like, before they were super famous. So it probably wasn't that big of a deal. But it was very exciting to me as adult Jamie, like, watching this now. Um, Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And, yeah, I I still, like, watching the whole thing, I was like, maybe I remember some of the ending – of like the tussling, but like, I really couldn't remember anything else. I was surprised Mm. at how uncomfortable I was actually in the beginning of the movie. Um, but then I also remembered the parallels to scary movie again. So that kind of relaxed (laughs) me a little bit. (laughs) The beautiful parallels of scary movie, all of the above. Yes. Uh, I will say I didn't realize Nev Campbell was in the show Party of Five. Oh, that's so that's okay. okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just found this out because there's a documentary on Hulu that says it's something it's I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically bad parts of the 90s or like the dark times in the 90s. Hmm. And it was talking about teen dramas and that shift from like the Saved by the Bell Cosby esque. Two shows like Party of Five that dealt with like hmm. drinking and all this stuff like that. And but then it showed Nev Campbell. And I was like, oh, that's what really I'm sure that's what gave her the pull to be a star in this chain. Gotcha. Call them. So she was probably like pretty big from that at yeah. the time that Scream came out. Like it was Definitely. like big billing Nev Campbell, which yeah, is funny because Jennifer had- Hewitt was in Party of Five and she got her own horror movie franchise. Yeah. But also, Nev Campbell also had to fight for this role um, Mm. because it was originally supposed to be Drew Barrymore who had to drop out, and that's why she got the small one. And then I think Mm -hmm. Nev Campbell kept, like, they saw her in Party 5. I read it last week when we did Scream. I don't remember the details off the top of my head. But, like, Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, she was known, but, like, I think this, like, made her more known um, in in general. Um, 
you know, uh, um, Jerry O'Connell, his brother was more famous than he was at this. Oh no, he was he was famous as a kid actor. Excuse me, like he was mm-hmm. in he was the he was the fat kid in Stand by Me. Um, he was in Jerry Maguire um, the year before right. and a couple of other those things. And then you have so the David Arquette, David Arquette. Um, Do you know he was a wrestler? <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> Um, he was oh, in- yeah, that should that should interest you, Nikisha. Yeah. Apparently, he was a wrestler. Uh, he was in the movie Ready to Rumble. Oh my Great god! Film. Okay. But he well, was in the movie it. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, he was in the movie Airheads. He like he was like he had these like you know he was in all these like dumb comedies and stuff like that mm. before Scream. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, my boo, my one of my favorite actors ever, uh, Timothy Oliphant. Um, this That's was like, boo. I love him. Justified <laughs> is one of my favorite TV shows of all time that he's on. Um, and he was really, this was one of his first movies. Like he was in first wives club. Um, and then this one. So like, hmm. and we look back now, we're like, Oh boy. And then you have Joshua Jackson who disappears in this movie completely halfway through. Oh yeah. That's who I was like, there's somebody else <coughs> like just shows up and then like bounces. Yeah. Very weird. Um, very, uh, who very was weird who was pretty famous at this point, at least as a child star. Um, I don't know when Dawson's Creek started, um, but that was just kind of wild. And then like Portia Durasti's in this, Omar Epps is in this, and then you have people like Heather Graham. I did all this research while we were watching it. Heather Graham, mm-hmm. who Heather Graham actually wasn't famous when this was filmed because this came out a couple of months after boogie nights came out that same year but before that she really wasn't Mm. well known so like Mm -hmm. her in that as the cameo i don't know if that cameo was filmed later like even though she they knew she was going to be in boogie nights but then people knew tori spelling and then people i don't know about luke wilson in this one Oh my god, that that cracked me up with the dumb greasy hair. Yes. Just like, he had really yeah. only done he had really only done Bottle Rocket up until this point, which is a spectacular movie. That's Wes Anderson's first movie. Um but yeah, I mean it's it, uh, my point being is that all these people were at a very different level of their stardom than we know today. But the fact that Wes Craven cast all these spectacular people in this movie that we now mm-hmm. think of as like <laughs> great actors or at least what more well-known back then when mm-hmm. really the most famous people in this movie were the people from the first one. Courtney Cox is probably the most famous person in this movie because, because yeah, of sure. – of, uh, friends. friends and yeah. uh and i but no one in this movie is probably as famous as drew barrymore was in the first one sure oh absolutely yeah yeah i wonder what her paycheck was for that uh <laughs> yeah i mean let's, mm. let's be honest the most famous person from these movies is wes craven yes. oh i was gonna say Ghostface. oh i mean or- i mean be, yeah I, yeah okay yeah done okay cool <laughs> <laughs> The actual killer. Like that's yeah, yeah. yeah. the most recognizable person. I had to I had to just yeah. nail on. <laughs> um yes, that's it. That's all stuff there. Fantabulous. Uh Brian, can you recall is when you first watched this movie? No. I cannot. Okay. Um, I have <laughs> seen this movie before because I knew the ending okay. and I remembered – I remembered the – there's one thing about the ending I didn't remember that I just started – with Jamie, I started laughing out loud. But mm-hmm. um, 
we did not. I I I knew who the killers were, um, but I did not remember. I did not remember his justification. I I remembered hers because it's much more memorable. Um, Absolutely. And uh, and but I'll tell you, I didn't remember anything before the ending. It makes Mm. me think I had never seen this movie except like maybe the ending. But I did. I do know that I'd seen this movie before because I remembered lots like. As it was happening, I remembered, oh, this has something. I remember this. But, like, I really didn't remember any of the emotional journeys anybody went on. I didn't remember Mm -hmm. who got killed or who. The only one I remember that got killed was Randy. Um, But I didn't remember anybody else. I didn't remember her boyfriend was. I didn't remember she had a boyfriend in this one. Uh, I remember this one was at college. Like, I didn't remember any of the details. Um, But I do remember that uh, this is a good sequel. Like, I remembered this being a good sequel. We'll talk about that, I guess. Um, yeah. What I didn't remember that maybe is my least favorite scene in all of movie history and gave me the most anxiety that I think any of these scream scenes will be is the opening movie theater scene. That's not how you watch a movie. I would, I would have murdered everyone. I, it was me. <laughs> I was the killer. I was so, I, was face. <laughs> I hated every second of that. Every second of that. And I wait, 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 wait. I, I feel like you need to paint a picture of the kind of moviegoer that you are. Okay. Like this is a person who I when we first started dating, I would try to hold his hand when mm-hmm. we would go see a movie, and he would not hold my hand because I... it takes him out of the immersive experience of watching a film. That's the kind of moviegoer that Brian is. So like seeing and... everyone act a fool is like is like his version, his personal version of hell. I'm extreme. Oh I'm a nut. I'm okay God. with that. I'm sorry if it hurts other people, but I just need <laughs> like to, me. Yeah, my I just feelings. I just need to be in the zone. Like there's something very special about it for me. I love the energy of people around me. I love hearing the laughs. I love hearing the screams. I love yeah. that communal experience. But like if I'm holding someone else's hand, it makes me feel like I'm watching a movie because I like there's stri- stimuli outside of the the like yeah. interaction with it, and and I know that's not so, and I understand that. But I once yelled at so we were I was seeing Drag Me to Hell, <laughs> and and it was a really rowdy theater, and this kid behind me answered his cell phone, so I turned around and I said I said I said get off the phone, I said get off the phone. And then I turned back around and he didn't. I turned around and I said, you have to give me your phone. I said, I, I said, I said you're going to have to give me your phone. And I was with my, my best friend, Gary. And Gary turned to the kid. He's like, listen, you have to turn it off or he's going to take your phone. And, like, and, I, and, and, and you, you just like, this is what you need oh, to do. Like, he's my like, God. And then we, we watched the whole movie. The crowd was mm-hmm. awful. Somehow the goodness of that movie shone through the badness of the environment. Um, and we got yeah. free movie tickets because we complained multiple. It was just awful. But yeah. that movie experience was awful. And on that note, let me I'll let me, I'm just on a roll. Let I'll do the two minutes. Watch the plot. <laughs> yeah! Yay! Yay! Woo! Okay. This is us watching the movie. Woo! <laughs> Also, like, why are they all wearing masks? Oh my god, no, we can't talk about it yet. You have to do this. I got so upset. Jada Pickett Smith (laughs) was on my side. Wait, no, we can't talk about it yet. We have to summarize it. Oh my god. (laughs) 
we're we're obviously we have a lot of very strong feelings. Who wants to time me? Who wants to time me? I'll time you. Yes, (laughs) I I will say, Brian, that that was the first thing I wrote in my notes. Was like I would not stay. I I could not be in that theater. I I agree with you for sure. Ted agrees. (laughs) Who's yelling? You yelling, Jamie? (laughs) (laughs) All right, are you? Revy, yes. I see you is, preparing, Ted. Is somebody timing me? Yeah, I'm going to time you. Okay. All right, Revy, yes. set, go. Okay, so this movie <laughs> is about scream, screaming twice. So it opens with these two uh, college students uh, getting murdered at a very rowdy stab uh, premiere. Now, Stab is the movie that is based on Gail Weathers' books of what happened in um, So Sorry for Ted. Um, he's screaming. Uh, in the uh, in the Woodsboro in Scream 1. Okay, so everyone gets freaked out because like, oh no, this is happening. Sydney's been getting calls and is actually handling everything pretty well. Calls being like fake calls, but now she's call, uh, call what's it called? Call waiting? Caller ID. Caller ID so ID. she can see who's, who's doing that. Okay, so all of a sudden there are other murders um and dewey flies in from wherever he was in woodsboro um he's you know got nerve damage now because he was stabbed in the first one as well as a local reporter is there um played by Lori Metcalf, and then you also have Courtney Cox in there. And then what's happening is we're finding out that all of these people are getting murdered by uh, copycats. They're using the names from the murdered in the first movie to choose their victims for the second movie, but now they're going after all the original people from the first movie. What we end up finding out at the end, and, and also Sydney's a theater major. I don't know how that happened. Um, we'll talk about that. But in the end, it ends up being one of the film students who wants to prove a point that he can't get convicted because he's going to blame violence in movies on why he did it. And then uh, the woman who is the Lori Metcalf is actually Billy's mother from the first one trying to get revenge on Sydney for killing her son and uh, her mother ruining her life. Uh, end movie. Yay! Good job! Wow. And they die. <clears throat> and, then they, and then they both die. And then everybody dies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, with that, let's just give a little thing of what we liked about uh, Scream 2. (laughs) Jamie, was there any standout moments in this sequel that is supposed to actually not be as good as the first, according to the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean... In the beginning, I was just like, wow, this is like double meta. This is like yes. meta, 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 meta. There's a movie in a movie in a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I mean, I thought that was clever. I <clears throat> I thought it was funny the way that they were like poking fun at, you know, how this would turn into some other form of media and like kind of continue going. Um I I didn't like love this movie. Um I think it's I mean it's hard. It is hard. Like sequels have a really hard time to kind of keep the momentum going. Can anyone I think they here were name sequels that are better than the original sequel of the movie? <laughs> Listen, the the answer will always be Sister Act 2. <laughs> always. Oh, I I wholeheartedly disagree with that, but that's a whole nother conversation. Oh my god! Those okay. two movies are completely 
different mm-hmm. movies. No, they're completely different movies. So it's not that Sinister Act 2 is better. It's which do you prefer? Do you prefer this, like, murder mystery, like, hiding story? Or do you want the, like, teacher story? Because she's not in hiding in the second one. She's going back to help. In the first one, she's, like, running for her life. They're two totally different movies with different tones. The first movie is a better movie, but I have more nostalgia for the second movie. Hot take. That is super hot. Sorry. Super hot. Sorry. Okay, back to you, Jamie. So sorry. (laughs) I don't even remember. Oh, right. We were talking about sequels. Um, (laughs) I was like, I own a sister act. Where does that scream? Um, (laughs) But I, there was like a lot of weird stuff. Well, I guess I'm only talking about what I like so far. Um, Mm -hmm. But I like the movie within a movie within a movie. Um, I... uh, I was excited that they like brought on more of these cast members like we were talking about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, just like interesting to to you know see all of these folks. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's it. I feel like I have a lot more complaints and criticism, but I'll I'll wait for that. Work. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, really quickly for me, what I enjoyed. Again, obviously the opening scene is genius to have the movie set in in that meta way. But I also just loved, of course, I have to talk about Jada Pinkett Smith and her um, saying about the African-American experience in horror movies, which is like, yeah, girl, that's what it is. And it's just Mm -hmm. funny that she mentions that and they are the actual first people to die in the movie. It's like, it's genius. Uh, I will say that a good documentary about the African-American experience in horror movies, there is a documentary called Horror Noir, and it just speaks on uh, how black people are introduced in certain movies and then like the whole Candyman and like go from like there to Jordan Peele, and it's just, it's a great thing. So Horror Noir, if you want to watch uh, about black people in horror movies. And I also love the addition of technology, like Brian was mentioning, with the caller ID, because now it's like we're going with the um, – we're, we're going with the times it's, you know, at first it's like, Oh, we're answering a phone. We don't know who it is. Like we can't track it. And even Jada Pinking yells out like go star 69 of which now we're even so far removed from that. Like some people don't even, wouldn't even know what that means, which is like also really sad. It makes me feel old. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just, I, I also love the whole speech about the sequel sucking because it just kind of lowers the, your expectation of it. And then that just made mm-hmm. me like it even more. Because it's not trying to outdo itself. It's like, we know what the deal is. We know what the track record is about movies like this. And so we're just going to try to continue the story the best way we can. But we're not going to try to do something to, um, extravagant to make the, f- the first one obsolete, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the life imitating art, imitating life thing. I mean, it still kind of teeters on the, you know, does horror and gore desensitize the American youth? And is that even really a thing that you can put on trial? Um, which kind of like reminds me of the pleading insanity. And when we watch like the conjuring and the devil made me do it and all that kind of stuff, like, can that all fall in the same world? But you know, that just kind of depends on, on the person. Uh, I love the ending where 
of course they're expecting someone to come back from the dead, but it wasn't the mom. It was Mickey just like chilling in the background. And, uh, (laughs) but then they still just shoot the mom in the head because absolutely. Yes. You got to make sure these people are dead. Uh, Mm -hmm. and my last thing, uh, one of the things that I truly enjoyed knowing who the killer was is all the clues that they give throughout the movie that it is, um, Billy Loomis's mom, because, uh, Randy mentions that when they're trying to, uh, find the, talk about the serial killer, like usually it is, uh, he said that usually it is going to be a, a white male, but you know, they're trying to do something. They could be someone trying to do something different. And then Randy mentions that in that same sentence, in that same, you know, speech that Mrs. Voorhees was one of the greatest killers, uh, of all time, because we always think, you know, Jason, but it was actually his mom first. And then Jason was the one who killed all the people. Spoiler alert for that if you haven't watched those movies. <laughs> uh, and the Laura Metcalf's character even said, well, if they're attacking, if they're recreating the murders from Woodsboro, then obviously it's someone who's from Woodsboro. So she's like just kind of saying that it is someone that you, that is from the area, like, you know, Anyway, I just think that it's, a, I think is this is a great sequel. Um, I think because it's not trying to do something different, it follows the same kind of path and gives you a logical explanation for the things that are happening. Because at first mm-hmm. when Jada Pinkin and her um, boyfriend died at the beginning, I'm like, what's the point of them dying? But when they connected with the names and everything, it's like, okay, I mean, that can be like a far stretch, but it, they're trying to do something to connect all of it together. And I appreciate that aspect of it. So yeah, I had mm. I had good feelings about this movie, and I've seen it before, uh, but mm. just going back and, and watching it this time, uh, directly right after the first one, it's like uh, I can get down with uh, this timeline and how they're trying to bring the story around. So, Brian, things that you liked about this? Yeah, I loved the opening. I know I criticized the movie stuff. I understand why they did it because you need to have something rowdy enough where like people wouldn't pick up on the murder. Um, I really liked the beginning because it was. It shows that this it said it establishes that this movie is going to doubly lean into the meta. They're leaning into the meta of what um, black people are in movies, in horror movies. It's like you mentioned, Nikisha, it's uh, leaning into the movie within a movie within a movie um, Mm -hmm. aspect of things. Uh, It is making fun of itself by casting famous people in the movie that they're watching. I, I just think that it works on so many levels. And then you get like some really, re- it just really sets the scene for this one. It, d- th- listen, the Drew Barrymore scene is better than this scene to open up a movie, but I think each mm. one of the movies is perfect in how it sets up its own movie. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I really liked aspects of this movie. I think it was really, really fun um, overall. I think that it is uh, – it's a little bit more self-referential in this one because they even mention uh, David Schwimmer by name as well mm. as uh, Jennifer Aniston by name in this one. They uh, – Dewey and her are even more goofy and weird in this one. Um, I think you mean doofy. Doofy. Yeah. Doofy. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> there's just there's more melodrama in this one in terms of how they like do everything. Um, uh, I think that the ghost face is like just as deeply clumsy in this one as he is in the first one, and I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, I, I the one thing I will say, and I do not know. If this is because I knew who the murderer was, but Jamie guessed it like right off the bat, this one mm-hmm. doesn't even try to hide who the murderer is, at least when it comes to the mom. You have this actress who is like what, like a multiple Emmy winner at the time for Roseanne, like mm-hmm. coming into this, she every scene she's like oh I gotta do I have to meet a deadline. She's never like in this. She like leaves the scene and then the murderer shows up. And on top of all of that, this movie phones in Billy's mom stuff because that whole fake scene from the movie with um, Luke Perry and a very young um, Emily Mortimer um, as uh, that was wild is is about like his mom leaving because her mom cheated. Like they phone in the fact that her mom and what Billy did and Billy's mom so much that like, it's very easy to pick out that she is the odd person out in this one. You very similar to any Marvel TV show or anything like that. Like if somebody famous is playing a mom or a dad, like they're not there to worry. They're there to act. So you know that they're going to be the bad guy. Like you don't bring in these famous. That's why this, maybe this movie back then, when you bring in, um, when you bring in all of these more famous people, that's how you can balance it out. But this one just like totally like well, that's, pun intended, it, didn't phone it in or phoned it in. I don't know. Again, <laughs> I knew who the murderers were and that's all I remembered. But, but I don't, but even in the first one, when we rewatched it, I don't think that it was as blatant who the murderer was, was in the first one. I think they hide it exceptionally well in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, uh, to your point of having all of the random famous people in the first place, I think is what the red herring is, is like to lead you astray from Laura Metcalf because there are famous people who are just there for no reason. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar is just there for no reason. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you could lean into the fact that they were just throwing all these people out there so that you wouldn't think about um, it being her specifically, maybe the idea of it being his mom and who is his mom, then yes, I can see that. But it <clears throat> particularly just being like Laura Medcalf's character, I think it still had some uh, some good hidden qualities in that. But I understand what you're what you're saying through that. Um, uh, but I, 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 I actually do like this. I don't think it's as strong as the first one, but I think this is a solid second one, not because of plot or anything like that, but because of um how it just goes more into the meta it ne- what i like about this one is that it never take i feel like a lot of movies that start campy and and meta become more serious because they like it's more of a following and they want it grounded which is what i'm a little bit nervous about this fifth one because it seems like they might be taking it if it, it's not Wes craven like and i love those guys directing it but like and i really love um ready or not and stuff like that which is campy so like we'll see we'll see we're going to hope that it stays on the the campy train. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've built their whole existence through that. And I'm super excited for you guys to watch uh, three and four. I mostly remember four 
more than three. I don't even. I don't. Mm-hmm. Know yeah, never that. seen. But one. I'm super. I'm super excited for y'all to continue on the journey. Okay, cool. Well, let's uh, dive into some mental health stuff with Jamie because, of course, we're continuing on with so much post traumatic stress disorder, but now we're dealing with it with multiple characters and not solely just focused on Sydney. So we have people reacting to all of these things differently. So with Sydney, she's still kind of on the train of trying to just live a normal life. You know, they're in college now. She's a theater major, which I think is the most random thing on the face of the planet. And um, honestly, that makes zero percent sense it, it doesn't make any sense at all no. they don't even like <laughs> talk about how like she found acting as a way to channel her anger or fear of things and like that was her therapeutic moment they didn't even get into any of that Mm-mm. it's almost like she oh but she's always been an actress and she was young like uh-uh she went she wasn't no. in the high school musical like i don't i don't know this this <laughs> this feels out of left field like like crazy left field I think they just wanted to have a big theater ending scene with the sure. with the fucking killers and all this stuff. So they're like, mm-hmm. let's just use all these like Shakespearean sets and all the things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we have her with her acting major that has nothing to do with her PTSD. And then we have <laughs> Randy who seems like he's just completely ignoring everything and is like not even – I don't know. He's not even sitting with like the celebrity of it all either. He's just like, this happened to me and it was just like, you know, something that happened in my life. But now I, it's something that's far removed from me. And then he just keeps on trucking forward. And then Gail capitalizing on uh, the success of writing the book and the, the movies. And mm-hmm. then Dewey, who's just like, like Brian said, even more just doofy <laughs> uh, than before. But doofy still just times to- 10. Times ten. He's more doofy than good. doofy. Yes, he's more <laughs> doofy than goofy than goofy characters. Uh, yeah. So, Jamie, can you talk about like these different level of uh, PTSD uh, in these characters and and how they're all just like diff- handling things? Like, is it realistic that someone would just kind of like suppress all of the things, or you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yes, but do I think that's like how they're playing it? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I, 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 it's, it is very much like they're just kind of dropped in college and it's very weird. And there's many of them that are just like, I had to get out of that town, right? Like they... Mm -hmm you know, Courtney Cox's character, um, mentions to Doofy that she's like, I, I couldn't stay cause they were like dating for a bit and it mm-hmm. obviously doesn't work out, but they like reconnect and between her and, um, and like Sydney and Randy just like all kind of bouncing. Like I can see that as a form of like escapism and like avoiding what they experienced and like not wanting to come back. I think even, but either way, uh, the idea of just like escaping from this, this experience that they have and like, like trying to start over and not think about it. Um, Sydney's like isolating herself 
or I mean, I'm glad that she's a roommate that almost surprised me with like how much she's avoiding other people and a boyfriend. Like those are the things that like don't make sense. So like they're like what they're telling us is happening. Doesn't seem like that's what's like playing out. And that kind of confuses me in terms of like, it makes, it would make sense that she's isolating herself and, and like, you know, avoiding other people. Um, it's also interesting. You've mentioned trauma bonding a few times. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's her connection to Randy. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't really Mm -hmm. see them as having this like particularly close relationship without the fact that they've both, they both shared this incredibly traumatic experience. And that's, what brings them together, except also he's like kind of creepy and like trying to hit on her too. So I'm like, he's not even really like the way that they're presenting themselves is way less PTSD versus like how they're kind of talking about the experience. So I'm like, something is Mm -hmm. missing for me at least. Like you can say it all you want, but like, I don't see it in any of your actions. Like she's, they're saying that she has no friends, but then you see her, Sydney, surrounded by all of these people. And I'm just like, where, okay. So like, who are these people? She has a boyfriend. She's close. Like her roommates, her best friend who like will not keep her out of her sight. Who's trying to have her join the sorority for whatever reason. And that doesn't make sense. But like, it's just, it's, it's weird, I guess, if they're trying to say that like, she's deeply impacted by this trauma. And I just, I don't buy it, like her character, how she's like actually acting. Um, but like, I believe what they're saying as, as responses to trauma. Um, and then I guess, yeah, Gail, like Courtney Cox's character is interesting because like, she's, she's capitalizing on it, but like, there's an element where she's like definitely disconnected from what she experienced. Like she's like, Like in the, in the first half before she has her own encounters with the new killers, it's definitely compartmentalized. Like she's Mm -hmm. not dealing with it. And it's like in the moments where she's like directly being chased with Doofy sees him get stabbed. Like that I think is when this like flooding of all of this trauma that she's experienced, like comes back to her. It's also like, obviously supposed to be this like change of heart. Oh, I care. And I want to stop the killer. But I think for her, that's like the realist representation of like the trauma is just like the horror of it all. And like letting that sink in versus this like cold hearted, like, you know, I'm going to capitalize. I'm going to be him. I'm going to get a Pulitzer prize, blah, blah, blah. Like that's, that I think is the most realistic representation of, of like how trauma impacts you. It's like, like that's re-traumatizing, which like, you know, I mean, any, any traumas can like compound on each other, but like, mm-hmm. it's just so, it's so similar to what had already happened to her. And I don't think that she really gave herself time to like process it seemingly. Like, it sounds like she was just based on what Doofy says, she was like traveling, working, blah, 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 blah. Like she threw herself into her work after this really traumatic incident and like did not give herself time to process it at all. She like tried Mm -hmm. to box it away. She tried to capitalize on it. Maybe that was her way of trying to like empower herself and like take back what happened to her. But like it also, she didn't process it at all. And then like this happens and she's like in it. And it's, I actually thought that was like a really good performance when she's in that sound studio and she like cowers in the back of the room and starts to cry. Like that felt like the most realistic, like, 
this is someone who's like been through something and like didn't let herself feel it. And like now she's feeling it and it is real and it's in her face and she is reacting to it. Wait, like that, that felt really authentic. Are we talking about uh, Gail right now? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I have, I have some questions. I'm, Nikisha, if I'm stealing your questions, yeah, let me yeah. know. No, um, no, go ahead. My, I have two questions and these could probably be de- dealt separately. The first one is, I feel like similar to what you said, Jamie, they talk a lot about mm-hmm. her relationship with Cotton and what she did to him. And, 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 and I actually think the scene where she is Courtney Cox just kind of like pulls Cotton in there and doesn't tell her um, is, is pretty good, but I feel like they don't deal a lot with like, they allude to it when she sees him on, on the TV, when she sees him in real life at the end, when they have to negotiate um, like <laughs> the media deal in that, which I love. I think that's a brilliant scene in general, just camp and, and like how the media affects and, 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 and fame. Um, so I want to talk about how you think they dealt with that, like her guilt, her feelings of that. And then separately, um, I want to talk about uh, boyfriends and relationships and trust. Um, mm, but, that was one of my questions. Okay. Yeah, so sure. I'll yeah. answer the cotton question and then we'll kick it into Keisha because she probably has something more specific to say about the trust in boyfriends. Um. Yeah. So like the question is just like how, how they navigate like – the weird interaction that she has and like or, reconciling the, the fact that she, you know, put an innocent man in jail. Yeah. I guess and like, him like guilting her yeah. into having the, the interviews and stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. This is why I don't think that I was like crazy about this movie. There's just a lot of like weird, wacky shit going on that mm-hmm. I don't think makes any sense. Like I, I don't, I don't understand, like, I don't understand Cotton. Like, I just don't understand him. Like, I don't understand his, his fame seeking. Like, did he, did he, like, did he enjoy, you know, like being famous as a result of being accused of murder and then being exonerated and then, and like enjoyed being in the spotlight, even though it was negative. Like, was it that he, like, I don't understand if he just like wanted to be in the spotlight and didn't care about how he got there. Or if he's trying to, if he's trying to get in the spotlight and like very intentionally shift his public image, because it kind of teeters on both and it doesn't make sense to me. Um, And then like in the beginning, he seems kind of genuine in terms of, of talking to Gail and being like, wait, you didn't tell Sydney that like we were arranging all of this. Like, right. why wouldn't you tell her that? But then he like turns into a really weird character <laughs> later in this movie. And like, I, I, I mean, I get that it's this like dumb red herring that's supposed to make you question whether he's actually the killer in this one, mm-hmm. which like, I just think is dumb and unnecessary like I just I would have such a hard I feel like everyone I would have such a hard time if then after all this where they make it such a point that she like falsely accused someone who's innocent to then make them guilty of being a murderer like there's no way that would just be so fucked up 
Yes. There's just no way. So I was like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I fully reject this. But like, why was he so weird? Like his character shifted. I don't even know if that was your question, but like that, I just, doesn't matter. I just don't, <laughs> I just didn't understand like, what does he want? Mm-hmm. And like, he just wants to be famous. Like, so it then do bad, stupid thing. Like, I, I don't know. It was just like very weird. It also doesn't the car. Listen, I know we're watching Scream too, but the <laughs> character doesn't seem like he served any time in jail, and like none of it felt like it was coming from a place where he felt like he was owed this because he went into it. It came from a very vain, masturbatory place, mm-hmm. and not from a place where it was like you owed this to me because I spent a I spent a year in trials and spent a ton of money to lose, and then I spent a year in jail, and I am oh, I want that time back in the form of 15 minutes or whatever it is it, it this yeah. one felt like i love myself and i have this story to tell and it was very narcissistic and gross which may be his character but like i don't know it just didn't balance right for me no it just i feel like there's so like all the other things that you said i feel like would have made more sense or even like the scene where he gets arrested and he's having that that conversation with the police officer it's mm-hmm. like you were like, you're there, but you're not quite there. Cause you're talking about your rights as like being treated innocent before like being found guilty. And mm. I'm like, just like, but then why are you a douchebag? Like you had, yes. it was like great. And then I feel like you, you like lost the momentum because then you're like just being weird and creepy and, and like vain and narcissistic and, and just like highlight you have a platform like mm-hmm. as somebody who was exonerated like you absolutely have a platform and that i feel like that would have been a way more interesting uh like story to follow or at least like b plot versus mm-hmm. like him just wanting to like be interviewed for an hour on whatever it who was he being interviewed diane sawyer that's yeah yeah <laughs> i was like ugh. Why? Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And that was one of my questions too, just kind of going down the rabbit hole of Cotton as a character in itself. Because even in the first interview that Sydney's watching of him, he just is like, yeah, I just want to get my story out there because, you know, we talk, I mean, well, we haven't talked about this specifically, but people who have spent time in jail for whatever reason, you know, innocent or not, and come out into the real world and what that life and what that experience is and what they have to deal with, the things they have to build back up within their society, within themselves to feel like they can be out in the world and a part of society again. You know, they've done their time and now they just want to be able to kind of like go back to, you know, being able to just get a job or, you know, all the things like that. And in the interview, he just, he made a point of saying that, he wanted to get a story straight because people were, you know, looking at him sideways, even though he was innocent. It was just because he spent time in jail and that was the forefront of his existence, not just him as a person. And mm-hmm. I guess that would be my only kind of justification of, of him uh, trying to get that time, which I think is what you mentioned, Jamie. It's like he's just trying to um, take away uh uh, this thing that has become his life of being a criminal when he's not. And he said, mm-hmm. that he, he made a crazy comment of like, he's also like a people person. And so now people don't <laughs> even want to come up and talk 
to him. But also when you act creepy like you do with Jamie, it's like, why would people want to come and talk to you? Aside from the fact that you were considered a a criminal or spent time in, in, in jail. And I know you worked a little bit in the, um, uh, like justice system, Jamie, Mm -hmm. but random question, even if, if someone, uh, was exonerated, do they still have to put that stuff? Like if they're filling out a job application or, you know, that they like spent time in jail or, you know what I mean? No. Cause they're no longer like the conviction mm-hmm. is, uh, <clears throat> gone. Like they're, they're no longer facing that conviction anymore. So like, that's not, they wouldn't have to, but like, you know, there's still the court of public opinion, which I think is like what they're trying to also right. get at with this. Yeah. Um, but like not nearly as in depth as maybe I wish they did, but like, I I'm, I'm sure that that's like more of what he's talking about is just like the fact that like people know him as this like alleged murderer and then he's exonerated, but like maybe people are still like viewing him like in with that lens and, and like, you know, don't care or whatever, like people's mm-hmm. opinions sometimes are, you know, not swayed very easily regardless of information presented. So like right. if he's still facing scrutiny, negative scrutiny as a result of like having anything to do with this, regardless of the fact that he's exonerated, then like, then that's again where I see. And, and I think that's also like very real that regardless of people being exonerated and like they are innocent, I think again, like you know, society is still be like largely viewing them negatively, regardless of the fact that like they, like they are not guilty of any crime. Um, I think like, you know, people, people just have a lot of like negative views of anybody who has like any interaction with the criminal justice system. So I, I can see that being the reason, but again, I do not think that that is like how he (laughs) is expressing that in this in this movie, movie. Now, yeah and i think um, in, in, yeah i know we're watching scream 2 and i know that we shouldn't be a hypercritical of this kind of stuff but like i think it's very interesting to talk about i, I, I like because like they're a lot of the horror movies and i think that's one of the reasons why we do this are they're trying to balance the realism of not even the realism, but like the, the the things that are pulled from inside of us and our society and then relating into something campy or just the horror of it all and the fear and it all. And like, I know we're watching Scream 2 and we're going really deep into this, but like, you know, you I feel like there is a balance to it where, and you're doing a disservice to like people who have maybe experienced these things in real life, like being hunted by someone else and things like that. So I just wanted to throw mm-hmm. that in there. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> Good job. Well, I mean, and I will say on, on, on top of that too, cause we are really kind of going deep into this. I mean, it's camp. I love it. Really. It's talking horror. <laughs> what else are we going to do but talk horror? Right. Oh my God. Uh, but, uh, I did like the and juxtaposition Twilight. though. And Twilight. And Twilight. And Harry Potter. And Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do like the juxtaposition of, uh, Cotton's character trying to get more in the limelight and Sydney trying to get out of it. And just Mm -hmm. like the situation, they, they have come together for the same, you know, situation. And it's like the people that are viewing her, which is funny that you mentioned Jamie, that like, they're like, 
oh yeah, she she didn't want to go to class because she didn't want people to be like looking at her like, oh, like here's that girl. But she also does have like a healthy like friendship and mm-hmm. seems like a, a a healthy boyfriend thing. So I mean, even though she is trying to pull away from the crowd, I don't know. It's, it is it is weird no. how they uh, execute that specifically, but I will say you can see the line between Cotton trying to get out in the world and them just kind of backing him away because of his criminal record, and then Sydney, mm-hmm. who is the star of everything because she is the hero, even though she still wrongly accused someone, but because of everything that has happened, she's put in the forefront as the good person, and she's trying to like get out of that limelight. But yeah, we're gonna say yeah. I think these movies are all about, or at least this one, I don't know about the other ones. This one specifically is how I think this movie, even without the murders, I think this movie would still be interesting in a way in terms of, because it's really dealing with how people move on. Gail moved on very differently than the way Sydney did. Sydney moved on differently than the way Dewey did. Um, Randy and uh, and uh, and um, and Cotton, like they're all. But I think it, you're right. It does fall on whether it's like really exploiting what I went through or just like totally taking a step back. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting in some of the ways that they do it, and I, that's why I really like them negotiating over like on the stage at the end. You know, like how like yeah. like. To, like it's literally a life or death situation to get interviewed by Diane Sawyer. Like I, I appreciated <laughs> that camp to it. I, I did. <sighs> Absolutely. Well, uh, going back to the boyfriend, because I know that was mm-hmm. also a question that Brian had, and mine was just similar too. It's like as someone who's trying to get close to, trying to be intimate with someone who's gone through as much as Sydney does, like how can how do you how do you walk that path? with care you know like and do you think that he was did it did he execute that well in the little scenes that were given to him but like someone who is you're trying to get close to who has gone through trauma like how do you uh make yourself available how do you get them to trust you like what are what do those steps look like for the other person yeah I feel like we we got some of it like his his like availability to her like he made it clear that he was always there for her and like would show up like he really showed up throughout this whole film when she when she had her police escort even before that like he was always there um you know whether she like wanted it or not and i guess like that's something challenging of like her trying to exert this boundary of when she wanted to be alone. Um, and it wasn't always clear like how much space she did want, except for when she like explicitly asked for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, that was another reason why I was like, there's no way that he's the killer either. Like in the, in the big scene of like, all right, let's go through the Rolodex of who could be the killer. Yeah. I turned to Brian and I was like, there's no way he's the killer because they wouldn't do the same exact thing twice in a row. They're not going to make the boyfriend the killer. That's dumb. Like that would just be like really dumb. Even though again, as someone who was there while she was saying this, the intensity was similar. (laughs) 
yeah what can I say I just feel strongly about the rules um but I mean I think it would definitely well the other thing that I said when I was speculating is that like she would literally never date ever again after this like it would just it would just fuck her up her relationships so much if he ended up being the killer like and then I, I just feel like that type of trauma would just I don't think that they would want to go that deep with it with this type of movie because mm-hmm. like they're leaning into the meta so hard. I just yeah. think that that would be like that's like outside of the meta and too serious for them to tackle. So I feel like, you know, have as many red herrings as possible, but like it, it can't it cannot be that. And I think mm-hmm. that they they go a completely different direction, which also makes no sense, but is in line with their uh, idea that like the motive doesn't really matter that much. But back to the relationship. uh, I mean, I think like, you know, navigating boundaries is something that like, it seems like she's like toying with, with him. Um, He does that like big public display of affection, which like, also confused me and again seems complete opposite to what she would want like literally ever where she's like I don't want anybody to like know that I exist and he's like let me sing on this table in front of everyone here's my lavalette <laughs> um like it was like so beautiful well, it's called a lavalette though right is that the right is that the I name no of idea. the necklace I used to know this but now I was not in a sorority um, and I did date someone in a fraternity, but like this was not a practice Wait. that I think is real. Sorry. I, I, I wasn't listening. Could you uh, sing that again? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I don't even remember what I sang, but um, <laughs> just like, like that was so, that made me super uncomfortable because like, I just don't see a world where she would be okay with it. And then she like kisses him because it's romantic, but like, there's a part of me that's like, does she just do that to kind of like get the fuck out of that situation as quickly as possible? Like, why would he think that that's okay? If like, again, like actions and what they're describing, like do not, there's, there's just like this conflict. Like it doesn't make sense. Why for someone who knows her as well as like he should in theory, who cares Mm -hmm. deeply about her, like, why would you do this like big public display when like she just wants to, you know, be in the shadows, like literally she just doesn't, she doesn't want all that attention on her and you're literally doing the opposite. Like that was super weird. I felt like that would have been a huge betrayal of trust, mm-hmm. but she kisses him big old smackaroo and like we move on. And I thought that was super weird, but like, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, I'm sh- there had to have been like so many like navigating relationship re- like trust stuff like i think time is truly again like the mm. the factor that plays the biggest role is just like you know whatever time she needs to feel comfortable with a new person but again like she's established these very seemingly very strong relationships um mm-hmm. you know I, I again like think it's a little bit strange but whatever um unclear how she like built these connections too because like if her boyfriend is in this fraternity and her roommate is in or is trying to pledge and join a sorority Mm -hmm. like how did they all meet and then like she's not in that film class 
um, Randy is. Yeah, because so unless she's she an met them, major. But then why wouldn't she be in a film class? I mean, I didn't take film classes as an actor. Okay, I'm so sorry. I made an assumption. Um, thank you for <laughs> thank you for educating us all. Um, I just feel I don't know. Maybe as an outsider, I feel like that's important to like. I, I mean, if you want to be a, a film actor, I guess I don't know what kind of acting she wanted to so, do. If she only wants to do this weird. Acting so here, acting. so here's a question. Are you saying that she seems a little bit too extroverted based on the trauma she's been through of like personal relationships turning on her? Um, maybe not extroverted, but like she is, she, everyone is talking about her as if she is introverted and isolating herself. But then she, the way that she's like connecting with people and mm-hmm. interacting with them is in contrast with what I think they are saying. Okay. That's, that's like the, that's the dissonance that I'm experiencing where like they are describing her behavior to us as the audience that it looks X type of way. But I feel like the way that she's actually presenting herself in this movie is why. And that's why I, that's why I am not like totally sold on everything. And I, I, my hope is that like, you know, moving forward is that like, you know, we get more of that, like authentic, what they are describing is how she presents herself because I just in future movies, because Mm -hmm. like, I'm just not sold. Like I think how they are describing how she presents is realistic to somebody who's experienced trauma. Like it makes sense that they would isolate. It makes sense that they would have a hard time connecting with people, especially the type of trauma that she experienced where she experienced a huge betrayal mm-hmm. on top of like, you know, the, the murder and assault of it all of her mom. But like she herself experiences huge betrayal by her partner, by someone that she put trust into. And so the idea of like connecting with people after that is of course going to be really, really difficult. Um, I mean, there's some people there, I will say there are some people, there is no like, you know, one size fits all how people present, but there are some people who like do struggle with intimacy and vulnerability in like an opposite way where they have a hard time. They have a hard time. Uh, I, I would say maybe like regulating that trust, meaning like, you are too easy to trust other people and you find yourself often getting hurt, but you still struggle with like how to pull back and, and have people earn your trust. That is something that's like a, another presentation that I've seen too, where people are just like so easily trusting of people. They, they, they become vulnerable with people really, really quickly, Mm -hmm. but like, I, something that I always say is like, you know, think of being vulnerable as like heart surgery. Like it's not always safe for you to open yourself up and be exposed, you know, to, to the elements in that way. And like, how can you close yourself back up in ways that are safe and protective of yourself? It's not always safe to just like, you know, be that vulnerable so quickly. You want to see that the people that you're being vulnerable with are like worthy of that vulnerability, whether it's like, you know, through empathy and compassion and, and reciprocating that vulnerability, but like the, the cues that tell you that like, Oh, this is a person I can trust. Mm -hmm. This is a person I can connect with. Um, and 
And like, maybe what they're saying is that is something like that, where she like doesn't have that sense of knowing who she can trust and is just trusting everybody willy nilly. Um, but that's not what I think. That's not how I'm perceiving it. I feel like they're saying like, no, you're so isolated and avoidant, Mm -hmm. but like, here's like my 20 best friends. Like it just doesn't make sense. (laughs) So Nikisha, I have a question for you. This also Uh sounds like uh, what the actress did versus what the script says. And like Uta Hagen's questions in terms of like, what does the script say about you? What do you say about yourself? What does the other character say about you? Like, if if you agree or disagree with what Jamie's asserting here, do you think that's an actress thing? Do you think that's a script thing? Do you think it's an editing thing? Kind of as somebody who would have read a script and saw what other people are saying about them versus what's actually happening to the character. Like, where do you see the fault? How would you handle that? Yeah, I think that if if I could pick out of those, I would say that it has to do with the script and with some of the editing because we also don't know exactly what the the script initially was. And of mm. course, through, I mean, I don't do a, any form of stage, I mean, of, of screen acting, but I do know that you get a script, but things are heavily edited uh, in post. And what could have been a continuous through line of answering all the questions that Jamie was bringing up could have been cut up through editing and given that, you know, cause I mean, I think Jamie made up a, a great point of like, if someone is isolating, then how did she meet her friends and her boyfriend? I mean, they could have just been people in her class. Like maybe they had an assignment or something that they worked on and then they, you know, could have connected in that way. But I think that uh, inevitably Nev Campbell as an actress, it wasn't, the the fault wasn't on her and what she was doing. I think that she was just acting whatever the script was given and how, I I also know that we're going like really deep into, into this. And I think that we're talking horror. (laughs) (laughs) Again, just going to keep saying how like far into it because I will absolutely give grace to a movie that I know is so campy and meta that I know that there are going to be some plot holes and things that don't make sense. But in this instance, we are talking about the progression of someone who has had all of this trauma and what that actually looks like. And if this is a real representation of that. So I understand that side of the conversation. And of course, with the evidence that uh, Jamie is presenting, it seems as if this is not an accurate representation, but what Jamie is mostly giving as evidence is what the script is saying and what the characters are saying about Jamie. And that has to do with the script and not necessarily the acting aspect of it. So all that to say, I would definitely say that this is a, a a script thing that is not reflecting what they they're they're just uh, contradicting each other. Mm-hmm. So for her to be like, I don't want I don't want to go to class because I don't want to be the one that people are like, oh, there's the girl. Oh, something else happened. It was in her hometown, but she has all of this connection with. Uh, and I won't even put Randy out there because we already established that that was more of a trauma bond and that's not like a a, a real kind of authentic relationship in a sense. I mean, it, it can be, but, but okay. then he's well, like, I want the, he, I want to, I want the cool girl to like hook up with the nerd. And I'm just like, well, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> exactly. Ah. So there's no, I mean, he has a, uh, um, 
uh, he's not in reality in that moment. You I, know, like I also can't hear anyone say Randy without thinking Randy. No, what is that what? from? No, Sorry, we don't. <laughs> never mind. Okay, never mind. I'll stay. Wait, no. What is no, it? What is it? <laughs> it's Aziz Ansari's like uh, alter ego, Randy. He also plays him in oh. Funny People. I think it is. Okay, never mind. Mm, I'll okay, stop. I'm sorry. I only know him from Parks and Recs, and I don't think Randy has been brought up. Oh, my fingers hurt. <laughs> Apps. But treat yourself all Apps. the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Uh, great. Well, let's go on to the killers. I think that's something worth uh, discussing. My mm-hmm. really only – well, two – pertinent questions that I have and we can dive into either aspect of that but are we going to say that Mickey who was the theater guy who was the muscle apparently in this who was the shaggy if you will in screen so we're going to define him as a sociopath is that the correct one where he doesn't have a sense of reality he's just like doing the things like he doesn't have the moral compass I don't even I this was if like had to pick the one. I, it, maybe I guess okay. if I had to gun yeah. to my head by Mickey told me tell me what I am um <laughs> but like man I get that part of it is like you know it's the millennium you don't need the emotive but right. like what like they have one scene in the movie we laughed out loud or no I did. I I laughed a bit in this movie, but we have like it's it's really like barely sprinkled throughout this movie of the impact of horror movies on on like people, which yeah. like I very much I find that akin to like you know violent video games makes kids violent. Oh, of course, and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't. I I just thought that was so silly. And, and then like to have him actually do it, which then I'm like, you're reinforcing a really shitty message that like, that's, that's really, but like, is he even saying that movies made him violent? I think that he was already clearly like had a lot of stuff going on and then he's just using that because he like thinks it'll make really good entertainment. Um, yeah, he is the, he is very much the shaggy of this of this of film. Whole, yes. Uh and my second question is the mom, of course. So as some what didn't add up to me, but I just like let it slide, was the fact that she was so revenge filled when it seemed as though Billy in the first movie made it seem like she cut herself off completely. Yes. To where she had no contact with them. So yes. my question is What's going is, on? <laughs> well, what's going on? And is a mother's maternal instinct that strong to where you would plan to get revenge on a son that you have yourself abandoned? I yeah. can't see that as no. being wow. realistic. We didn't even think about that. We're talking whole. Wait, part. really? Oh my god! I I'm I'm about to I'm about to mute you, um, and then you will not be talking anything. Um, no, I was thinking the same exact thing. I'm like, 
how are they trying to like retcon this where all of a sudden she cares so deeply for her son, but his entire, his entire motive was that his mom abandoned him. Yes. And so like, why do you give a crap now? And I really, I so wanted Sydney to just be like, where were you? Like, exactly what, like she makes, she says these jabs, but like take it a step further. Like, where were you when it counted? Like, if you really cared, you would have been there. Exactly. You would have prevented all this stuff from happening. But then not only is she like spinning all of this, I care so much. I mean, I think the, I, I think that is the catalyst. I think what was already going on is the fact that Sydney's mom like cheated with her husband. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the, that the is foundation. like the main thing. Yes. But then it's like at the point that her, like, I think that the son piece is an afterthought to be totally honest because I can buy that. of everything, of everything that is indicated in the first movie. So yeah. I think that like she left cause she couldn't handle it. And then, and then at the point that her son dies, and not only does he die, but he also is killed by the daughter of the woman who ruined her life, so to speak. Like right. that, that's where I think the like switch flipped in non-psychological terms and only purely for this movie is what <laughs> I think they're trying to say. But yeah. I totally agree with you that I'm like, who, like like, why are you here, lady? Like you did not care enough before because you bounced. And, and like, it's one thing to like leave the relationship because your partner cheated on you. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to like, like, what did your kid, like, why did your kid have to suffer the consequences and not like, I'm, I'm not like shaming, you know, parents or like people who have been cheated on or there's been infidelity but like just for the purposes of this franchise or this chain mm-hmm. um it just like seems like very much of an afterthought that that she's like oh my sweet boy and like but where were you like you were exactly. you were gone you had nothing to do with him and like only now do you care but it's too late and like that's your own fault you two yes, are very smart then- <laughs> That's because we be talking hard. Just so you know, while you were talking, I, I literally bit my tongue and it really hurts. <laughs> That's karma. I know. That's karma, baby. I know. Oh, God. I can't scream. Uh, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> right you need the added tongue effect um no that's no that's great i think that you are correct the only thing that makes sense is leaning in towards the ruining the family by the mother cheating and that being the foundation and then the son was just kind of like a oh and then this happened too and so now i mean because you have to think of the fact that she apparently like lost weight, like this took time. She (laughs) lost weight, got Mm -hmm. surgery done to look slightly Mm -hmm. different. And then you, and then you go back and think like, oh, she's never been when she was playing a local reporter lady. Like she was never really in the same vicinity as Sydney because Sydney immediately recognized her. Mm -hmm. Sydney has that line where it's like 60 pounds lighter or something. What'd you say? Yeah. And some surgery. surgery. Which is funny because that's just like one random line to make sure like, oh, that's why no one noticed her. (laughs) Exactly. Because Gail's like, I've seen pictures. (laughs) I should know. 
but yeah. Also, can't, quick question. Can psychopathic tendencies be hereditary since the son and the mother little little uh stab happy <laughs> it's funny know? that you bring that up because that's kind of the premise of the new dexter season that i'm watching mm. yeah and then i got mad she did about it. she did <laughs> that's also <laughs> because fair. i think that like i think that yes there might be a genetic predisposition to mental illness however mm. I do not think that it is causation. And like, that is the thing that's like one of my biggest pet peeves about like, you know, horror franchises where they try mm-hmm. to pull that shit and they're like, uh, my, my parents had this. So I had the same thing. It's like, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Like explain it better people. But like, I think that, you know, there could be like a heightened risk. And then, and then like you look at all of the risk factors again. So like for, uh, for greasy in the first (laughs) movie, movie. Billy, (laughs) Billy, um, you know, he, he like lost his access to his mom. Um, and, uh, like might have already had some of these tendencies, but like that was the catalyst for him mm-hmm. um, to then like go on a murder and assault rampage. Yeah. Um, maybe the same, like maybe she, maybe his mom already had like, you know, some other mental illness that she was dealing with. And then like, mm-hmm. and then her, her husband cheating on her and then finding out later that her son was killed, like also, you know, impacted her mental health. But like, like how can those like acute things also contribute to like acute trauma contribute to someone's mental health, but they might Mm -hmm. have like predisposed factors. And then like, how do these, how does like trauma as a risk factor potentially exacerbate some of these mental health issues? Um, but like, I don't think that it's fair to say that like, just because the mom might've, you know, had mental illness means that the son definitively had this specific mental illness that matched his mom. Yeah, that's fair. And can you remind me again, really quickly, we talked about this in uh, the last episode, but as far as like mental illnesses, like anxiety or depression or, you know, BPD or what in, in those, that category of things, but then you have like people who could be sociopaths or psychopaths that we were talking about. And I think you said something about like, you can't diagnose one or the other, or there was something along the lines of like finding out if you're in those, but they're different categories of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's harder to, I think it's harder for folks who, who have characteristics of a personality disorder to seek out support because it's harder for them to like reconcile that there's something going on for them mm. and might be more likely to view everyone else and the world as the problem and not anything intrinsically like contributing to it. Whereas like anxiety, depression, um, like a mood disorder or, um, like stuff like that, like you can feel that something is off with you. And like, that is what mm. typically will, uh, you know, lead you to seeking out support. So 
um, like the, the self-awareness of it all, I think like is, you know, something lacking, but I also think like, you know, the lack of empathy too makes it harder to like seek out. I mean, for this very particular, like, cause not, I, I don't think that all personality like disordered characteristics are, are coupled with like a lack of empathy. Um, right, right. But like, I think for this particular one, like, I don't think, I don't think that they're going to like seek out, you know, help unless like, you know, unless they are concerned about their own like lack of empathy for people, which right. like, I don't think that's uncommon. Um, but maybe, well, maybe that is uncommon, but not like, impossible. I think that there are some folks who like can recognize not feeling that compassion for other people and are like Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of that and like will seek out a therapist to understand that and figure out like how to, how to develop empathy or like at least how to, you know, express some form of empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Going back, circling back to all of this, like to, ah, ah, to, ah, ah, Sydney just should have pulled like a, a Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis and like I actually isolated herself like in the new Halloween movie because that would have been a better representation of the trauma that she has apparently gone through and I guess will continue to go through because there's ah 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 <laughs> that we have to get to next. That'll <laughs> be right now on in these uh screen rewatch fantastical well should we rotten tomatoes the things yeah yeah i think it got spoiled for me yeah because these are on peacock so peacock shows it to you Uh, but did you see it I was looking up this, but also I know what you did last summer, and I felt like I saw one of those, but I forgot which one it was. Right, so, so I'll just take a guess anyway. Yeah, take a guess. What did you see? <laughs> 87? It's an 81. Okay, well then I saw Or maybe you saw it and just like got the second number a little wrong. Um, it's an 81 and it's as with the first film Scream 2 is a gleeful takedown of scary movie conventions that manages to poke fun at terrible horror sequels without falling victim to the same fate I would agree with that as much as we've like dissected the thing I would agree with that yeah I I, we dissected it but I I I really liked it um it has an audience score of 57 percent if that's interesting to you yeah (laughs) <laughs> Jamie was like, yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> so uh, should we do the four S's? Yes. Yes. Skull, scare, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horror's four S's. <laughs> All right. The four S's stand for skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Um uh, Jamie, let's start with you. Skulls, one through ten, and we're talking about uh, how it handles human behavior and mental health. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a four because I feel like they talk about it, even if they don't like represent it well. So there's like some acknowledgement of it. Plus, like I mentioned, the scene with Gail, I feel like that's like her really coming to terms with the trauma that she like had not 
given herself time to process. Sure. Nikisha? Yeah, I'll give it a five just based on this entire conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with Nikisha. I'm going to give it a 5 as well. Uh all right, scares. Was this scary? What what's your thoughts? Um I'm going to give it a 3 cuz I do think like I think that a lot of the kills while not jump scary um they were definitely more gruesome than the first. The first the opening scene really messed me. Like, I had a hard time watching it. I just thought it was, like, really gratuitous. Um, and it, it it just, like, really unsettled me. Um, and then I thought the rest of the film was like, meh. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'll give it a three. Nikisha? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a three as well. There was one jump scare in the whole Sarah Michelle, Michelle Geller death that got, that got me. I was like, oh, I think it was when her friends like came through the door or something that was still uh, at the house because she thought she was alone. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'll give it a three. Other than that, like even though the the body count was more and there was more blood, it just still wasn't, you know, it's no Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it a three as well for the same reasons. Um, all right. Shakes. How much can you shake this off? Is one to remember? Or is it not? Jamie. Uh, I'm going to give it like a 1.5. I think they're all going to start to blend <laughs> a little bit soon. I feel like the first one's just like the most memorable with the exception of the fact that I also confuse it with the scary movie franchise. <laughs> so maybe there's something just wrong with me, but I just, I feel like we're about to get into like, it's all going to overlap territory. Sure. Nikisha. Uh, yeah, you're basically saying that the scary movies are better than the screen. It's fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll jump on that hot take with you. Okay. Uh, I would give. I'm gonna give it a three because I will always remember Jada Pinkett Smith in the beginning of the movie. If I don't remember anything from the scary movie two, it would be the opening scene. So wait, Scream two or Scary Movie two? Wow. Scream. See? There you go. There you go. I meant Scream, but I said Scary Movie. <laughs> it's all uh, the same. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a two. For Scream 2. This is just not one off. I mean, I, I saw it and I didn't remember it. I'm not going to remember. I mean, I'm going to remember it more this time because we've talked about it. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Suggestions. Uh... <laughs> did uh, Jamie, did you do – I know what you did last summer, last time. Was I did. Remember she did Urban did. Legend. <laughs> and this movie had someone from Urban Legend in it. Yes. Oh my God. I was like screaming that at the TV. Uh, um, Rebecca Gayhart, which who was the other sorority girl with the big curly oh, hair. Yes. With yeah, yeah. Rossi. She mm-hmm. is in urban legend. Yes. Well, I did have a movie I've never seen, but is uh, also written by Kevin Williamson and deals with teenagers in a school. The faculty. Oh, uh, that movie is so good. That's a great movie. I'll suggest that one, and I will try to watch it in my three-week hiatus. Yeah, you should. That's an awesome movie. I saw that in movie theaters. I love that movie. Nice. Talk about talk about a movie with lots of famous people in it that maybe weren't crazy famous at the time and were a little yeah. crazy famous. It's awesome. Yeah, just looking at the movie poster, I was like, oh, I didn't realize they were all in the movie. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, Jamie. 
I'm I'm super disappointed in myself. I couldn't think of anything, truly, because I feel like these movies are all kind of in the same category of a lot of the things that we had already suggested. The I Know What You Did Last Summer, The Urban Legend, um, the other like meta horror stuff. The only, I mean, I guess the only thing, the only like genre that I could like think of, and I'll think a little bit more on like what suggestions might come from that is more like who done it type things. Cause that's yeah. kind of what I feel like they leaned into more with this is like mm-hmm. not just Randy kind of talking about the rules, but, but like specifically reflecting on, okay, here's all our characters and here's who might've done it. Yeah. Um, so like maybe some kind of like who done it type thriller. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't think of like anything that we haven't already suggested. Sure. So I'm just going to write, sorry. I'm going to write down urban legend for you. <laughs> you can actually write down uh, the sequel to urban legend. I think it's called final cut. Oh, okay. Um, so I was going to say I still know what you did last summer, um, but it's so bad and I don't think it's like a good sequel. So I'm, I went totally outside the box with a good with the original great horror sequel, The Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, nice. Uh, so that's what I'm going with there. Um, cool. <laughs> oh, Brandy was in the sequel of I Know What You Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. I think you mean Cinderella was in the well, sequel. Uh, <laughs> just so terrible, but at least she survived. She was a black woman who survived. This, the one in this one did not. So, <laughs> what, what was your horror, horror noir? Was the documentary yeah. mm-hmm. horror noir? Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It used to be on the Amazon Prime for free, or maybe I, th- I think it might be on Shutter for free. I think I saw it on Shutter. I don't know where else it may yeah. be. I think it's on Shutter for free. I think that's what I'm thinking of. But really, really great uh, thing. Starts off with um, Night of the Living Dead. Sure. Which is mm. wonderful, and goes into all the things. Which you can watch that for free on YouTube. That movie. Hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps up. Scream. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking horror. You can follow us on all of the social meds: Instagram, Facebook. Are we on Facebook? Mm, I'm not I on don't Facebook. think so. I don't well, remember. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of. Okay, Instagram, Twitter, and the TikToks at mm-hmm. Talk Horror Pod P O D for all of the things. And Brian, we're going to listen to us. Sure, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including things like Spotify, Stitcher, as well as Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us there. Five stars, please. Um, thank, thank you. you. And Brian, do you want to sign us off? Oh, I have a quote. Oh. <laughs> On top of. <clears throat> um. This is after Sydney and her roommate escape from the car. Mm. Um, and Sydney wants to go back and see who the killer is. And her roommate says, stupid people go back. Smart people run. We're smart people. So we should get the fuck out of here. Yes. Great quote. And that's what everyone should do. <laughs> Always. You mean the wife oh. from the Hughleys? Exactly. <laughs> Because both of them were were there.
there in the movie together. Wait, you right? you know that the next year I think she starts the Hughleys, which is no wild. Way. Also, the Hughleys was a spectacular television show. Absolutely! Wow, what a what a throwback. I'm looking it up now. I need to just see the the uh, 98. Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> there you go. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. We will continue on with our uh, rewatch and get into Scream 3 next time. I'm really looking forward to Scream 3. I haven't seen it. Yeah. To how many screams is that, Brian? Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) I sound like the the fucking uh, count. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That was great. 